Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast is sponsored and brought to you thanks to Liquidware. Let's start off with some news and we'll get into some Microsoft news first. The lead story is an obvious one this week. Azure and Office 365 had a significant service disruption earlier this week. I'm referencing redmondmag.com for this story, but also speaking from my own experience. So on Tuesday morning, I went to my personal Office 365 mailbox in my browser and couldn't get to it. I tried my Azure portal, same story. Later that evening, my wife tried to sign into my Xbox Live account, and it couldn't authenticate. Interestingly, I never saw Xbox Live reported as an affected service, but my guess is it wasn't a coincidence. The list of services shown on RedmondMag.com included Exchange, Power BI, SharePoint, Teams, Education, and Intune. The Office 365 and Azure status pages and Twitter accounts started to report the issue on Tuesday. In the end, it was reported there was a power disruption at a Texas data center due to a storm. Probably the most worrying of all of this was the impact to non-regional Azure Active Directory services. We learned through this incident that not all the services may be highly available in certain regions, and certainly not the South Central U.S. region. As of this recording, some services continue to be impacted, so go to at Azure support on Twitter for the latest on that. Sticking with Microsoft, Microsoft also had a pretty significant Microsoft 365 announcement this week, and it was three-pronged. It's tooling that promises to take pain out of application compatibility with Windows 10 releases. And first up, Desktop Analytics, which is a new cloud-based service integrated with Config Manager and designed to create an inventory of apps running in the organization, assesses app compatibility with the latest feature updates of Windows 10 and Office 365 Pro Plus, and creates pilot groups that represent the entire application and driver estate across a minimal set of devices. Essentially, since they've got this massive cloud service and they're pulling in data from all kinds of organizations around the world, including thousands and thousands of applications, I'm sure, they could take your on-premises application data and aggregate that against all the data they have in their cloud service. And this should help you optimize pilot and production deployments with your config manager and just take a lot of the pain out of your Windows 10 updates in terms of application testing and regression testing and that sort of thing. They also announced something called Desktop App Assure, which is a new service from Microsoft FastTrack designed to address issues with Windows 10 and Office 365 Pro Plus app compatibility. So you're getting your data up front with desktop analytics, but with desktop app assure, if you do find any app compatibility issues after doing your Windows 10 or Office 365 Pro Plus update, you can simply file a ticket through Microsoft's fast track and a Microsoft engineer will follow up to work with you until the issue is resolved. So really, Microsoft are taking the approach of, we're going to gather all this data, we're going to show you what applications could cause problems, how to resolve them. If you run into an application that we don't have the data on, and you're not sure what the problem is, reach out to us, we'll help you fix it, and that way they're going to get the data that clearly no other customer had run into at that point. So you essentially be helping everybody by working with them on that. And it's cool that they're taking that approach and having a dedicated team to help with this. The desktop Aperture piece will be offered at no additional cost to Windows 10 Enterprise and Windows 10 Education customers, so that's great too. The final part of the announcement is around 
servicing and support. So Windows 7 extended security updates will run through January 2023 with the price of this applying per device and increasing year on year. So it sounds a little similar to the XP extended support. Not sure exactly what the price is. I don't see any information on that. And it isn't really a reprieve for those who don't want to migrate as it will likely be pretty expensive, I'm sure. There's good news as well if you're moving to Windows 10 as the servicing for enterprise and education has now changed with September releases which I believe are the ones that end in 09, the, the rev number. Uh, but they're supported for 30 months now from their original release. So that's up from 18 months to 30 months for that support. March releases will remain at 18 months. 30 months for September only applies to enterprise and education products. So that won't apply if you're using Pro. I guess there's that's kind of a double-edged sword. Yes, that's great because a lot of organizations just don't have the resources to keep in line, but it also encourages organizations to not prioritize the updates like they should. So I guess we'll see what the, the end result of this is. In some other news, last week I reported on the release of Citrix Virtual Apps and Desktop version 7.18.08. Unfortunately, there were some problems with the release, but these were quickly mitigated. If you did have problems, you'll want to go out and get the latest release, and I'll include a link in the YouTube description for this episode, which is episode 36, as well as in the reference links on 5bytespodcast.com for this episode. Keeping with Citrix, I did notice just from my own testing this week with the latest version of the Workspace app, which will be replacing Receiver, that it now works with my remote PC, and that wasn't working before. So if you had difficulties and it didn't work launching your remote PC and your existing storefront, try with the latest version, it should work. Also keeping with Citrix, at Manbinder Singh, sorry, I'm sure I mispronounced the name, it might be Manbinder Singh, on Twitter, reported that the VDA cleanup tool is now invoked implicitly as part of the VDA upgrade in the 1808 release. So I know that the installs for the receiver also call the receiver cleanup utility. So it sounds like they're going to do the same with the VDA cleanup tool. So that's going to be a pretty good thing. He also tweeted out some information on more flexibility in VDA command line with some additional parameters available. So check out the YouTube video version of this podcast to see some of that or just check out the links on 5bytespodcast.com. Sticking with Citrix, there's a super early bird deal now available for Citrix Summit tickets, which is to be held January 7th through 9th for Citrix Partners in Orlando, Florida. The price of admission for this deal is $495, which is pretty good, and the price is only available until September 30th, so if you're a partner and you're intending to go, now would be a good time to purchase that ticket. E-S-K-O-N-R, sorry, I wouldn't know how to pronounce that, S-K-O-N-R maybe, on Twitter, tweeted this week that August updates KB434, 3205, and 3900 appear to block single sign-on, which is being noticed by users while browsing to portal.office.com. And this is when using Internet Explorer to browse to it. Funny enough, the issue has not been noticed by users using Chrome. Jen Gentleman once again shared some of the new features coming to Windows 10, including a cool grids feature for OneNote so your OneNote can act like a school copybook which is pretty cool and probably more relevant for us IT pros out there the ability to delay snips in the snipping tool so right away 
A benefit of this for me is that I'll now be able to use the snipping tool without frustration on menus or screens that disappear when not in focus or hovered over. Speaking of Windows 10, itpro.co.uk reported on a survey by Collective this week which showed out of 260 businesses, which admittedly here is a very small sample size, two-thirds of businesses surveyed do not have a strategy to migrate to Windows 10, while a fifth don't know Microsoft will be withdrawing support for Windows 7. I would suggest if you work for a company like this, you're going to want to get them focused pretty soon. The application migration piece shouldn't be too bad for you. It's definitely not as bad as going from XP to Windows 7 or Windows 8 or any previous uh, Windows desktop migration. And obviously with the tooling that I announced earlier in this podcast, it should be easier than ever, really. But I will say, if you're choosing to standardize on 64-bit operating systems across the board, and you have a mix of 32-bit and 64-bit Windows 7 currently, you may run into some apps that won't work on 64-bit. Also, if you're running an older version of Internet Explorer on Windows 7 today than Internet Explorer 11, well, you'll be making the jump to Internet Explorer 11 with Windows 10 because that's what's there by default. Desktop apps shouldn't be as big of a problem as in previous migrations, like I said. If they work on Windows 7, they will most likely work on Windows 10. Even some of the earlier compat issues on Windows 10 with those apps that had worked on Windows 7 are no longer a problem. They've really worked out a lot of the kinks. Now with that said, don't leave yourself with pressure to get migrated. January 2020 is not that far away. Even with the tooling, give yourself plenty of time. Keep the pressure off. Taro Alhanen tweeted a screenshot this week of 14 active sessions on Windows 10 version 1809 build 17751.1. So I reported on the possibility of this multi-user Windows 10 several months ago when it was rumored by Brian Madden. Over the last couple of weeks, some of the influencers in the community had a pretty lively discussion about its merits on Twitter. Since this is my podcast, I will say, I don't see the huge benefit of this from an app compat perspective. It's not all that common that I run into apps that work on a desktop OS, but not server OS. Now, a case where it may be beneficial, like I said, companies who want to standardize on 64-bit, but they have 32-bit and 64-bit currently, well, if there's a multi-user Windows 10 that's 32-bit that they can run those 16-bit applications on, that might have some benefit, sure. It would be like a transition platform while they get those applications upgraded, if they ever get those applications upgraded. If you have those apps, get them upgraded, please. I saw some of the influencers suggesting this will be limited to 10 active user sessions at once. The screenshot shows 14, but as my buddy Trent has stated, it doesn't seem to be limited in the preview that's out there. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes, as I'm guessing Windows 10 and Server 2016 will likely start to diverge more than previous versions of the desktop and server operating system, and there's probably more reason for this development than has been made public to this point. I'm guessing they have experience for remote sessions in mind, and that divergence may force them to make a Windows 10 remote platform with multi-user support, but we'll see. I don't have any insider information on it, I'm just thinking out loud. Credit goes to Naked Security by Sophos for these next two stories. First, Mozilla have announced plans to tweak Firefox privacy controls so advertising trackers will be blocked by default. This will have security and privacy benefits and also could improve performance for loading sites. 
Setting this on by default is a good step forward, so kudos Mozilla. Starting with Chrome version 69, the browser will require users to explicitly enable Flash every single time they want to use it. This is pretty unprecedented. Users may be used to prompts to enable Flash or trust Flash depending on the browser they use. In Safari, for example, you could trust it permanently. With Chrome 69 going, and going forward, I assume, it will prompt every time Flash wants to invoke. This will be annoying, but this nuisance will hopefully force developers to ditch Flash once and for all, since it seems to be their browser of choice for the most part. This is a further step in Google's attempt to rid Chrome of Flash entirely, and they also plan to completely disable it by default in summer 2019. Credit to Twitter user at VAH underscore 13 who reported a huge bug with TeamViewer this week. Reporting that while TeamViewer bans your ID if you tried to connect with the wrong password and close the connection 10 times, well, if you click the cancel button, you're able to go in there and brute force a four-digit pin code. So if you got TeamViewer, you might want to reach out to them about a possible fix. For all of you Wireshark users out there, which is pretty much everybody, be sure to download and install the latest version. Cisco reported on three vulnerabilities according to helpnetsecurity.com. All three vulnerabilities can be exploited by an attacker by injecting a malformed packet into a network to be processed by the affected application or by convincing a targeted user to open the malicious packet trace file. A Cisco researcher noted that the attacker may use misleading language and instructions to convince a user to open a malicious packet trace file. To inject malformed packets that the Wireshark application may attempt to parse, the attacker may need access to the trusted internal network where the targeted system resides. So the likelihood of a successful exploit is likely minimal, but still, don't run the risk. Go out there and get the latest version. It's already available. On a previous episode of the podcast, I reported on major UI changes coming to Office. More details have now been reported by MSPowerUser.com. The ribbon menu, as I'd stated before, has been simplified. Folder views improved for usability. Email and calendar response options will now be contextualized based on what you want to do, such as reply or accept. But for a complete list of changes, check out the references links for this episode on 5bytespodcast.com. The Experts Live US Conference for 2019, I didn't see any specific date, will be held in Austin, Texas. It should feature a variety of different Microsoft speakers and also some Microsoft MVPs. So be sure to check out Expert Live US on Twitter to keep up with the updates. And also tickets went on sale Monday at an incredibly cheap super early bird price, so $99. Very, very reasonable if you're interested in going. Also Experts Live Europe 2018 is set to be held on October 24th through 26th, and it will be held in Prague. Here's a rare update on a consumer product. I don't usually cover many consumer product stories here, but on a previous episode, I had reported on the upcoming Xbox Adaptive Controller. Well, it is now available for $100 at Microsoft stores and GameStop Online, and it's compatible with Xbox One and Windows 10. The controller was created with guidance from accessibility experts, advocates, and partners such as the Able Gamers Charity, the Cerebral Palsy Foundation, Craig Hospital, Special Effect, and Warfighter Engaged. I think it's a pretty cool innovation and it should open up gaming to an even larger audience who may have felt neglected in the past. So, great work by those groups and by Microsoft. 
Applications are now open for the 2018-2019 CUGC Women in Tech Mentoring Program. Check out my fellow Citrix CTP Joe Harder's blog post on how the program works and how you can get involved. And now for this episode's hot job. Orium's application practice is looking for experienced application packagers. This is an excellent opportunity for the right candidate. The role will be based in the UK, but you'll be working remotely across an agile project base. The successful candidate should have strong application packaging experience with MSI using tools such as Flexera Admin Studio or Wise Package Studio, strong AppV 4.x and more importantly 5.x experience, good understanding of scripting like VBScript and PowerShell, knowledge of deployment tools like SCCM, obviously strong skills in troubleshooting and remediation would be pretty important too, and you must have the ability to work independently from your own home office since it's going to be remote. Also desirable would be application layering experience, Zen app, desktop, and Windows migration experience, as well as AppSense or other similar user profile management tools. If you're interested, send a cover letter along with your CV or resume to recruitment at orium, which is O-R-I-I-U-M dot com. And now for this episode, scripts, tricks, or tips. This week's tip is to check out a Microsoft doc on advanced query syntax for the Microsoft Windows desktop search. I didn't know such a thing existed, so I guess others didn't either. It's pretty interesting. There are keywords for searching types of things such as like meetings, instant messages, emails, text files, or more. So if you find yourself using that search and it's not pulling up the right thing or it's pulling up multiple results even though you're looking for like a specific file type or something like that, you'll want to check out this syntax, learn it, and it should optimize your search results and your time for retrieving data. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks so much for listening. Catch you next week.